This archival program of Design Matters with Debbie Millman was produced for Voice America Internet Radio. New programs with better audio quality are now being produced for Design Observer. You can subscribe in the iTunes Store or at the Observer Media Channel on Design Observer. Welcome to Design Matters with Debbie Millman, the show that takes you inside the provocative and stimulating world of design and branding as it intersects with contemporary culture. Here's your host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. In a recent episode of the popular television show Grey's Anatomy, central character Meredith Grey laments the state of her personality. Tired of being considered dark and twisty, she resolves instead to be bright and shiny because life is good. She further insists that the sheer intensity of her anticipated state of future happiness will make her friend's teeth hurt. I couldn't help but nod in agreement in regard to Gray's noble quest. As far back as I can remember, I have longed for the ability to laugh at myself instead of agonize over what I would consider a perpetual state of drama and, frankly, what bright and shiny people would likely consider outright strange. In short, I long to be happy and shiny and fit in. There have been brief stints at my passing for what could be considered fairly normal, but this behavior was primarily displayed during job interviews, first dates, and most recently in a dreaded middle seat on an airplane. Instead of pulling out my brand spanking new issue of Bitch magazine, I instead chose to play solitaire on my computer for the entire flight, while the two rather large men on either side of me peered at pie charts and played Sudoku. In actuality, I suppose I have lived a sort of odd existence. I was the only daughter of divorced parents decades before divorce was acceptably mainstream. My splintered family moved four times before I made it to third grade, and with each transplant I had no choice but to leave all my hard-won friends behind. I was married and divorced twice before I was 40, and now, instead of a big suburban home filled with a brood of teenage children, I live alone in Manhattan with my four furry friends, two beloved cats and dogs. Mostly, I've been sheepishly ashamed of this, but over the last few years, I've begun to experience a growing sense of comfort in my ever-so-slightly alternative lifestyle, and have discovered that I am much more relaxed in my own skin than I've ever been before. But I still remember the painful moments of adolescence and young adulthood as I attempted to twist myself into someone that at least looked like they fit in. There was the Farrah Fawcett haircut that went horribly awry, with one side of my hair perfectly feathered and the other, hide, other side sabotaged by an unruly hair lick. This resulted in an unfortunate attempt of curls that came out of the left side of my head. And then my mother, the seamstress, designed a shirt for me indicating what she thought of me. Realizing my deep despair at what I considered my too numerous to count flaws, she bedazzled a t-shirt for me with the word perfect on the front. I wore it proudly to school the next day. But to my utter horror, most people thought the shirt read perfect, as the letter spacing of the word perfect was too wide, resulting in the first and last letters, the P and the T, 
being bunched up, squished, and concealed under my armpits. Needless to say, the message was so far from perfect, the boy I had a crush on at the time thought it was an uproarious joke. The philosophy of belonging to a family, a group, a community is a fascinating study of our primary need to connect. Psychologist Leon Lewitsky had, has analyzed the psychology of belonging at great length. He described belonging as a unification of the individual with some aspect of the world, initially a passive unification with the mother or the family, then an active domination of possessions, and ultimately an independent and free belonging to oneself. Psychologist Durian Ben Chartrand a doctor who practices relational somatic psychology believes that we can hold surprisingly clear attitudes about right and wrong and it's astonishing how we can suspend those beliefs because we want to fit in and be part of some group. Conscious seems to monitor this basic need to fit in. Our desire to be included and belong is immense. Last year I had the distinct good fortune to be able to attend Myra Kelman's opera The Elements of Style which was based on the landmark book written by William Strunk and E.B. White. This also coincided with the release of her illustrated version of the book. The opera was being presented for one night only at the New York Public Library, and the show was entirely sold out. In an effort to manage the large crowd, ushers holding wayfinding signs were situated all along the snaking line. But interspersed among the directional posters were whimsical signs, handmade by Myra, featuring quirky and fanciful lines from the book. This pre-show exhibit was enchanting. But my heart stopped when I noticed a young woman holding a sign that simply stated what I considered to be the most mesmerizing line of all. The sign, handwritten in Myra's sweet, unmistakable script, read as follows. Her story is strange. I couldn't help what I did next. I ran up to the girl and asked if I could have the poster. She replied no, she needed it until the show began. I then asked if I could have it after the show was over and offered her all the money I had in my wallet. She looked embarrassed and suggested that I try to find her after the show. In the meantime, she would ask the people in charge if she was allowed to give the poster away. After what could only be described as a truly magnificent opera, the audience gathered for a post-show reception. I scanned the room, searching for the young usher, and when I finally found her, I inquired again about the poster. She responded that she had forgotten to ask her boss and told me she would go and try to find her. After what seemed again like an eternity, she returned and explained that before giving away the poster, her boss needed to ask Myra's permission to part with it. And as a result, Myra had a question for the person who wanted the cardboard sign. Since the poster read, her story is strange, Myra wanted to know if indeed my story was strange. I looked this affable young usher right in the eye, and without missing a beat, I gleefully and proudly stated that yes, most assuredly, my story was strange. And with that, my new friend smiled wide, pulled the prized poster from behind her back, and replied, then yes. If your story is strange, then yes, Myra said you could have it.
Welcome to Design Matters with Debbie Millman. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guest today is Myra Kalman. Before we get started with our interview, please let me tell you a bit more about her. Myra Kalman is a national treasure. She is also an illustrator, author, and designer whose artwork is featured in an, in an edition of Strunk and White's The Elements of Style. She has created many covers for The New Yorker, including the famous map New Yorkistan, created with Mick Myrowitz. Myra's 12 children's books include Max Makes Millions, Stay Up Late, Swami on Rye, and What Pete Ate, my favorite. She also has designed fabric for Isaac Mizrahi, accessories for Kate Spade, sets for the Mark Morris Dance Company, and with her late husband, Tibor Kalman, under the Emin Company label, clocks, umbrellas, and other accessories for the Museum of Modern Art. Myra's work is shown at the Julie Saul Gallery in Manhattan, and Myra teaches graduate courses in design at the School of Visual Arts, and her illustrated essays, The Principles of Uncertainty, is a monthly column on New York Times Select. It has been running since May 2006 and will be published as a book this coming October. Welcome, Myra. Thank you very much. <laughs> so great to have you here. You know, I am accused occasionally of um, fawning over my guests, so I'm going to warn those that might be sensitive to fawning that this will likely be a fawn fest. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, thought you, I thought you were saying, and I'm going to be mean just to no! let you know, too. Oh, my God, um, no, no, no. Um, well, my first question that I often like to ask my guests is, um, what is your first memory of being creative? <laughs> if I had any memory at all, <laughs> I would be so thrilled. Uh, I think probably I did a, I remember doing some kind, well, you know, the elusive memories, those, those wisps, those little fragments that everybody has in their life, I think those are the first, the first um, hint of uh, imagination that you don't really know what you're going to do with it, you know, like a breezy, you know, curtain over a, a window or somebody's shoes walking by you as you're lying on the floor staring at, you know, I don't know what, at the wall. So I guess my first creative moment is staring up at the sky and staring at a wall and allowing myself to daydream. So that, that would be the first. But then I think that I, I started writing. I, when I was seven, I knew I wanted to be a writer. So I started sitting in trees with books because I thought that's what writers do. They sit in trees. And, and so now you're a writer, writer and yeah. a painter and right. an illustrator and absolutely wonderful. Um, well, I read in, in print magazine that you once contacted a philosopher who taught a, who taught a course on vagueness with the intention at the time of following him around all day. And did you, did you end up doing that? Well, actually, what was amazing, it took me two years. I mean, the poor man thought, why is this woman bothering me and stalking me? And uh, I finally met with him for a cup of coffee just last month. So, and uh, I haven't followed him around because I don't think he really w would be thrilled. And he, he was <laughs> eating a, a, he was fantastic. He, was e he had a stomach ache, but he was eating this crepe. And we just sat and talked, and he didn't reveal the meaning of life, but we had a great time. You did. Well, I also want to ask you what intrigues you about vagueness, but I'll, I'll ask you when we come back from commercial break. Um, I'd like to let everybody know that they are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guest today is designer, illustrator, and national treasure, Myra Kalman. We will be right back with our broadcast after these messages, so please don't go away. Four oh ones, stock, mortgage, retirement, wealth. We cover it all. Voice America Business. 
Welcome to Voices of Design, brought to you by Adobe, where creative professionals speak out about their work and what inspires them. Honest is a design studio that works in a variety of media. Carrie Murnian and John Balot started the company so that they could collaborate on projects together. Carrie, John, tell us a little bit about how you work. I think a lot of our ideas are generated from our personal projects. You know, we got into film by doing little things on the side, you know, with our camera here. And we hope that freshness actually is imbued into the commercial projects because that's what makes them different than everything else. So. You know, even if you're doing the most boring job, that you can, you know, put something creative into it, you know. You can you know, choose, like, a fun typeface or, you know, something as kind of small as that that gives you a little bit of pleasure. I think you can always add, like, a little bit of fun to any project, yeah. and that's kind of what we try to do. You've been listening to Voices of Design, brought to you by Adobe. Coming up in the next break, Carrie and John talk about how they were influenced by old school design. This is Wynton Marcellus for AIGA New York. Nicholas Troxler has spent a lifetime turning the passion and soul of jazz into some of the most compelling poster design ever. AIGA New York proudly presents Look, Listen, Nicholas Troxler in New York City a benefit for the city of New Orleans, followed by a concert by Cecil Taylor, the new AHA 3, and John Zorn's Acoustic Masada. We know y'all are going to enjoy it. And please go to AIGANewYork.org to register and get all the details. Mom, my tooth fell out. The coach says I can play shortstop. I get to be a deciduous tree. You live for the firsts in your child's life, but how do you cope with the firsts that come after your child is diagnosed with cancer? PureSearch.org connects you to the doctors and scientists whose collaborative research has turned childhood cancer from a nearly incurable disease to one with an overall cure rate of 78%. PureSearch.org. You're not as alone as you feel. Brought to you by PureSearch and the Ad Council. It has been said that to live is to choose, but to choose well, you must know who you are and what you stand for, where you want to go, and why you want to get there. On Reap What You Sow, with host, performance management specialist, and executive coach, Alana Daly, achievement and success through expanding yourself and your life is available at the click of a mouse. Reap through redefining your goals. Educate your mind, your body, your conscious, and unconscious. Apply what you learn and plan, and it shall be. Success over and over again, and wealth result when you reap regularly reap what you sow with alana daily broadcast each thursday at 11 a.m pacific 2 p.m eastern on the voice america business channel reap what you sow learn the rules of the game then play better than anyone else keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business this is voice america business We're back with Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you have a question for Debbie, feel free to call us at 866-472-5790. Once again, here's the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. Welcome back. It is 317, and you are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guest today is designer and illustrator Myra Kelman. If you'd like to join our conversation, if you have a question for Myra, our phone lines are now open. You can call 1-866-472-5790. And Myra, before the break, we were talking about your um, wanting to follow around a philosopher um, when you were taking a course on vagueness. Right. No, I, I, he wouldn't let me in the course would, because, right. of course, it was too high level. Oh. It was, you know, vagueness. Uh, but so what did he teach you about vagueness? Uh, the word, I mean, the word itself it describes the entire essence of being and uh, and how you 
how things are always uh, confused and unknown, and then you go ahead and make some kind of sense out of it, and then you make some kind of nonsense out of the sense. So it's a full-time job, just <laughs> figuring it all out. And I like meeting people, and then if they intrigue me in some way, I, like to, I want to just follow them around, and that's my, that's my work. My work is just wandering around. Wandering around and, and recording your ideas and thoughts. Right. One of my favorite pieces of yours on, uh, in, your, in your column, uh, The Principles of Uncertainty, is a piece that you wrote called Completely, which is actually a piece that, that features you taking photographs behind people. And um, about you, you reflect on a woman walks in the mist, and you have, you're behind a man who's wearing a mink stole, and you run after him, and he shakes your hand in such a warm way. Just out of curiosity, um, what did you say to him that made him shake your hand in such a warm way? Well, I ran up, and I said, you look fantastic, and I want to take a photo of you. And uh, he said, of course, darling. And not, not everybody says, of course. And I took a quick f picture with my you know, digital camera, which I always have with me. And then we shook hands and wished, wished each other the best of luck. And it was a perfect encounter. Now, the, the, the hundreds of pictures that you take, and, and, and they're extraordinary. The, the pictures in this particular piece are, are poignant, they're sad, they're happy, they're optimistic. Um, do you ask everybody that you take a picture of if you can take it and if you can use it, or is it just something that just happens and it's sort of part of the serendipity of the world? Yeah, it's a mix, because sometimes if you ask somebody and they say no, you think, ugh, why did I ask? So usually, if they don't notice, I take a picture, but and then the old the old adage comes up, uh, better to ask forgiveness than to ask permission. Somebody told me that, and I thought, oh, wait a minute, I can use that. So it depends on the moment. It depends how how vulnerable I, I feel somebody <laughs> feels or how vulnerable I feel. I was talking to Stefan Sagmeister about your pieces, and he actually, I thought he described them really, really beautifully. He thought that they were adult fairy tales. I like that. That's, uh, and, and Stefan is in this Yes, he's, he's in, in this series also. as well, which wearing I love. A, wearing a great plaid coat. Um, and the woman with the bow in this piece, did you just happen to coincidentally see her, the woman with the bow in the her The woman hair? with the bow was a, was a guard at the museum in the Hermitage, and okay. we and she wore that same bow a few times, and I just kept running after her, and she was not pleased about being photographed. <laughs> she was just out of some kind of Dostoevsky story, yes. I and mean, she was completely 19th century, walking ahead of me. Um, for those that might not have seen Myra's column, I, I really urge you immediately to go and look at it right this moment. Uh, it's the NewYorkTimes.com. You'll have to register for the New York Times Select, but it's worth every single cent. Um, it's interesting, Myra, because I think people um, wait for the, your, your column to come up on the first Wednesday of the month, and within hours of your, your piece being posted, there are hundreds, hundreds of comments that people write about how they're moved and affected by, by your piece. Did you ever anticipate that you would be able to touch this, this many people in such a profound way? No, and I still and I still don't anticipate it. And I didn't even want comments at the end of the column because I thought it would be a, a strange and uh, disconcerting thing to read people's responses right away. So I was always ambivalent about it. And, of course, it's wonderful to hear it, but on some level you think, oh, my God, what if they hate it? Oh, you know, well. you know there you go. I guess when you put something out in the public, you always run the risk of, of having people comment right. and, and opinionate. But I, I think that... 
you know, as Stefan said about them being adult fairy tales, I sort of see them as being magical little poems. Funny that you were talking about, you know, what the need or the, or not the not need for poetry, but um, I think that they're they're incredibly poetic. When is the book coming out? It'll come out in the fall. I'm doing my last column now, and it'll, it it will have been a year, mm-hmm. and then uh, in October it'll, the book will come out with a giant index full of incredible digressions. I'm, really, I'm looking for, like, whoever says, wait till you read my index. You're going to go crazy. <laughs> but this is going to be a very wonderful index. In what which way? I assure you. In what way? It'll yeah. just have a lot of digressions and chock full of information and and things I forgot to put in the book and things I wish I knew. Oh. Like what? <laughs> what do you wish you knew? <laughs> oh, my God. What do I wish I knew? Oh, I wish I knew how the brain worked. But that won't be <gasps> in it. Wait, that won't be in it. Forget oh, it. Forget that. God, so I just want to say topic. something quickly that... The article about rats, about laughter, and how la- people laugh because they want to belong, not because necessarily they think something is funny, which is what you were talking about in the beginning. And they tickle rats, and rats laugh, like little Disney characters. So really? I said, if rats can laugh, you know, why can't we? Or, or so can we. But anyway, uh, you know, it's it's all amazing, like well, how the brain works. Oh, I know. I know. It's phenomenal. It's, it's amazing that <laughs> we have the abilities that to do everything that we know how to do, but yet have pretty much no clue how the brain really, yeah, really works yeah, and right. where consciousness resides and where identity resides. And, I mean, even just, it's only in the last couple of years that we've been able to figure out where memory resides. So right. I just find it, you know, incredible. And where is that? You know, I'd like to know. It's, yeah. it's behind the hippopotamus. <laughs> the, the hippopotamus Yeah, in exactly. The yeah, Eric Kandel, okay. Eric Kandel won a, a Nobel Prize, I think, in 2001 for actually being able to discover. And he wrote an autobiography about it. And it's incredible the way that he went about um, trying to find where the brain resides. He, he was really looking in any any being that has a brain to see where, if you um, touched this a cell in some way, where in if you this, a single cell uh, creature, if you then were touch that cell, where else in the cell it would light up to be able to determine mm-hmm. where exactly it was being affected. So. It's it's extraordinary. You know, I, I spend endless hours trying to figure this stuff out and never, ever have any answers that are in um, any way valuable. No, no. So it's only like watching television is the only solution at the end. <laughs> Just calming down. Yes. So um, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, the elements of style. And uh, I know that you found a copy, your first copy, in a Cape Cod flea market. Um, and you knew instantly, and you had what I what I referred to in, in some of the other research that we found on you as one of your aha moments. Mm-hmm. Like this is this is what you need to do next. First, I want to talk to you about your aha moments. How how often do you have those aha moments? <laughs> Sometimes does you know dozens of times a day. Uh, I actually have them a lot, and the the only you know the the idea is to have an idea and then to say I actually will do this idea as opposed to have an idea and say well you know that can't be done. Mm-hmm. So you know something seems really important. It seems very vivid, and I feel that it's the right thing to do. I mean it's very instinctual, and it has nothing to do with anything other than wow this feels fantastic. I better pursue it. And that's how I felt about the elements of style and contact with the family, and the the White estate who and E. B. White's granddaughter was the person, Martha White, right? wonderful name, and a wonderful person who said, uh, go ahead, and then let me do whatever I wanted, which was pretty fabulous. Because at first they were like, what does she want to do? And so, um, and so I just, it, again, it was a very lyrical experience. I don't understand half of the grammar in the book. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and the rules make me petrified. 
They yeah. are. They are. Yeah, they're scary. scary. If you read the rules, yeah. you never want to write again. Basically, you know, you just want to uh, throw throw your pencil away. But <laughs> at any rate, uh, it was a wonderful experience. And then the opera grew. I was singing while I was drawing, which is what I, I listened to music all day long. But I started singing the words. You know, would, could, should. Uh, and then I thought, oh, wait a minute. And so I have this this wonderful composer, Nico Muley, who's a friend of mine. Um, he composed nine songs, and we performed for amateurs and musicians at the library. So it was, you know, one thing leads to another is yes. the lovely, lovely point of the story. Well, um, listeners, I have a, a real treat for you today. Um, we have some of Myra's music from her opera, from the elements of style that she created, and we are going to play some of that for you on the air today. So we have two pieces, and uh, Ryan, I know uh, my producer <laughs> at Voice America is probably wondering uh, how long this is going to be. It's probably going to be about two minutes, so after the piece, we could probably go straight to commercial break. But the first piece we're going to play is a piece called Bed. Bed, and it's, uh, it's the line from the, from the book is, his first thought on getting out of bed if he had any thoughts at all, was to get back in. And this is uh, Nico Muley is the composer. Okay, wonderful. We're going to go right now.
that wonderful listeners. We're going to have to take a break, but when we come back, we're going to come back with more music, more Myra. In the meantime, I'd like to let everybody know that they're listening to Design Matters with Debbie Melman on Voice America Business. I am your host, Debbie Melman. We'll be right back with our broadcast after these messages. Please don't go away. a step ahead of the changing world of business. This is Voice America Business. Welcome back to Voices of Design. We're speaking with Carrie Murnian and John Malott of Design Studio Honest. Carrie and John, tell us about coming from old school design. We went to Parsons together here in New York and we were the last class that they taught paste ups to. And at the time, we kind of knew this is going to be obsolete, you know, soon. But yeah, it still, I think, informed us in terms of some of our design skill. I think that's something that we try to keep in all of our work is that there was a hand, like a real hand involved rather than just completely this, you know, computer design thing or yeah. computer, I don't know, animated thing. And that whole thing of a like sketch first, you know, at least you know, get the idea going and then you can start the real creative process after that. You've been listening to Voices of Design, brought to you by Adobe. Coming up in the next break, Carrie and John talk about inspiration. This is Wynton Marcellus for AIGA New York. You know, when you talk about jazz, most people think of the blues. But Matisse, Bearden, Lawrence, Stuart Davis, and other 20th century masters inspired by this music saw a whole range of colors. For me, jazz is a visual medium. And maybe nobody proves that better than Nicholas Proxler, who spent a lifetime turning the passion and soul of jazz into some of the most compelling poster design ever. Now you can hear it from the man himself, followed by a concert by Cecil Taylor, the new AHA 3, and John Zorn's acoustic Masada. AIGA New York proudly presents Look, Listen, Nicholas Troxler in New York City, a benefit for the most noble city of New Orleans, Saturday, March 10th at Jazz at Lincoln Center in the House of Swing. Go to AIGANewYork.org to register and get all the details. Don't miss this once-in-a-lifetime event and see how Troxler saturates his work with the rhythmic energy of pulsating swinging jazz music. Yes, indeed. Hi, I'm Ron Jaswalski of Del Monte Foods Corporation, and I'm here to invite you to attend the Fuse Brand Identity and Package Design Conference this April in New York City. You might have heard of the Bad Boys of Design segment on Design Matters podcast, but now you can see it in person. The Fuse event is proud to announce their own version of the show, the Bad Boys of Brand Design, as the official kickoff to the 2007 event. Join me along with others from Colgate-Palmolive, Starbucks, Johnson & Johnson, and Georgia Pacific as we discuss how design can be aligned, leveraged, managed, and integrated to best position a brand in the marketplace. Plus, hear from the design leaders from OXO, Procter & Gamble, Martha Stewart Living, Omnimedia, and more who will give you actionable ideas for fueling change and driving growth in your company. For more information, call 888 888- 670-8200, visit www.iirusa.com, or you can email direct at register at iirusa.com. If you mentioned that you heard about the event from Design Matters, you'll receive a $200 discount off the standard fee. I hope to see you April 16th to the 18th at Piers 60 at Chelsea Piers in New York City. The bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. 
We're back with Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you have a question for Debbie, feel free to call us at 866-472-5790. Once again, here's the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. Live from the Empire State Building, you are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guest today is designer and illustrator Myra Kelman. Uh, Myra, we have a number of callers. Actually, I think we have a record number of callers on the phone holding for you. We have three callers. But um, I just wanted to um, ask if you could talk a little bit more about the opera before we go into all the questions, because I have a feeling that once the questions come, we're not going to be able to ever get back to talking about the opera. So you were telling me a wonderful story while we were on break about standing uh, over the, being in the reading room and standing on the top with your viola and playing, can you can you share that with us? It's you know it's a gorgeous baroque room and it, it doesn't usually have music in it. And there we were creating really beautiful music uh, composed by Nico. And in this piece that you just heard, I was mimicking the I won't say miming because how hard, how much do we hate mimes? But I was mimicking the movements, holding my own viola without any strings over the. The light near the underneath the beautiful uh, you know, frescoes on the ceiling mm-hmm. of the sky. So it was a an imaginary. It was an imaginary and yet real, you know, imaginarily real, wonderful moment. Whatever that is. Now, is it possible that uh, you'll be releasing this music on a CD? Yeah, or? Uh, they, there is a CD, but it hasn't been released yet. And hopefully, well, hopefully there will be. Great. I'd also like to play one more piece before the end of the show. Um, but we do have three callers, so I think we'll take Isabel first. I believe she was the first in line. Isabel, thank you for calling Design Matters. Sure. Hi, Debbie. Hi, Myra. Hello. Uh, Myra, if I ask my question, I want to know if you realize that you're pretty much the original pioneer of accomplished mothers come children's book authors, and that Madonna and Sarah Ferguson and Jamie Lee Curtis have actually followed in your footsteps. Oh, uh-oh. I don't know that. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Well, that being said, I want to know, have you ever actually read your children's books to your children? Because you wrote them when they were children. So that's a good know. question. I tested, they, you know, I tested things on them. They were forced to model for me. A lot of the stories came from our lives. I probably never in my life have read it. It's a very good question. No, I don't think. I'm going to have to call them up and read them my books now and see what they think. <laughs> okay. Thank, Thank you, you Isabel. Much. Thank you for calling. I believe we have uh, two other callers on the line. Um, I believe one was named Susan. Susan, is that you? Design. You, welcome to Design Matters. Thank you. Um, I got a question for Myra. Yes, of I want to know because Debbie said what her favorite children's books are. I want to know what some of your favorite children's books are, other than your own. Oh, I love other books much more than my own. Uh, I mean, and, I, and probably you know the first one is Alice in Wonderland, and then there's uh, you know Winnie the Pooh. Wind in the Willows, all of the Doctor, you know, Doctor Seuss, uh, the Madeline books, uh, the Eloise books, and probably the book that really inspired me to be a writer on that, or, a, or to grow up, was Pippi Longstocking. Really? She was my, she was my hero. I loved her, and I, and I thought she was inspiring. So that's the kind of girl I want to be. Did you ever wear your hair like she did? No, but uh, we made my daughter wear her hair like that with wires in her. Yeah, I did that once for <laughs> Halloween. I was Pippi Longstocking. <laughs> I love so, that. I love uh, that. Um, well, thank you. Thank you for calling so much. Thank you. Um, we have a gentleman on the line. We have Mike. Mike, thank you for calling Design Matters. Oh, oh, oh was like Mike hung up. Well, good. Then I get you back. <laughs> so um, I also want to talk to you about some of the work that you've done uh, some of the gallery work that you've done. You have, uh, you've had several shows at the Julie Saul Gallery in New York City. 
Um, and I read in an article that before your, your first one-woman show at, at the gallery that you wanted to um, hand out and fold, uh, hang out and fold fabric and you wanted your mother to fold clothes. Right. Um, did, you, did you actually do that? We did something very similar. My mother and I sewed buttons. Uh, people, we handed out these cards that said we will gladly sew on any button or any amount of buttons that you need on any article of clothing for a dollar the, a dollar the button and uh, sherry and cookies will be served. And so then my mother and I sat in the gallery one afternoon and people came in with their buttons to be repaired. But I got very nervous and I made my sister do my share of the button sewing. But there was a lot of sitting around and discussing buttons and sewing and it was a very sweet afternoon. Uh, and I always think that the the count, you know, when you're when you're working in anything, and maybe especially art, it's very good to have these very pragmatic, concrete things to do, like washing the dishes, right. or and you know, or whatever, it. or ironing. Um, and I and I always uh, look forward to that an awful lot. Now, I I understand that um, you also like to sew for artistic purposes. You know, you've done some wonderful embroideries. Um, you did a, a gorgeous dress that I saw with the Ichaba Gnuk uh, 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 written on it. Uh, it's absolutely gorgeous. How do you navigate through these different disciplines? Do you feel like you approach everything as Myra in the same way? Is there a different mindset for writing, a different mindset for illustration, a different mindset for sewing and embroidery? Do you, what, what inspires you to do one thing versus another? Well, uh, you know, boredom and impatience are real, real motivators, you know, and so I don't want to do one thing all the time, and I'm, you know, multi-curious, and, and really not knowing how to do something and then wanting to, not being afraid to do it is, is a nice combination, because then you just try new things, so, you know, I, I, I guess if you're open to whatever serendipity of inspiration is around, and sometimes you just find yourself sewing, and sometimes... You find yourself, uh, you know, playing an imaginary viola. Mm -hmm. But I don't really have a different mindset. For, I don't like to have a different mindset for children than I do for adults. I just would like to tell the story that's that's around me and just kind of chronicle what I see. And it shouldn't matter if if it's an adult or a child. Now you said just just um, a few sentences ago. You said something that really um, intrigued me about not being afraid. Do you, do you ever feel afraid about approaching something new or starting something new? Or Right, I lied. I'm always afraid. No, you know what happens? I, in a moment of fantastic enthusiasm, I say, oh, I'm going to do this thing. Mm -hmm. Only after I've said it and initiated do I realize how terrified I am and that, oh, my God, I don't know what I'm, I really don't know what I'm doing and what's, you know, what's going to happen. And I guess the, what's the worst that can happen is, uh, you know, you can fail or it can be bad, mm -hmm. but, uh, which has happened. And then, uh, you know, somehow the world doesn't come to an end. So uh, I am alternately very brave and terrified. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's a human condition. Um, yeah. One of your pieces in the New York Times Select was about a trip that you and Rick took to Coney Island. Um, what do you like about Coney Island so much? Uh, well, first we have to talk about being on the subway. It was really, okay. it was really about being on the subway and, and, and seeing all these fantastic people, all these different stops, getting off at Avenue X, seeing, you know, the Tuscanini High School, seeing, you know, a chocolate cake in, in a bakery. And the, the nature of everybody on the subway is pretty much themselves. Everybody is who they are. They're not trying to, you know, 
you're on the subway. You're not trying to be other than who you are. And there's a very re- real sense of realness in the subway, which I love. And then you end up in this, and you go through all these neighborhoods, and you end up in, you know, at the ocean with um, amusement park and, you know, and, and weird signage and fantastically eccentric characters and derelicts and old dogs <laughs> and it's just like traveling you know like traveling on the subway to Coney Island is just as exotic and fabulous as traveling anywhere so um, I you know I want to ride ride the subways all the time and go to all of the all of the extremities of the subway lines and he and I did this subway map that we took yes. all the names away and we just you know made them into food names it's the subculinary food map that was in the New Yorker mm-hmm. and so we just and we traveled all over and looked at you know and uh, we lived in the subways. Now, you also, you, you have quite a lot of collections. I know that when you were in Coney Island for that particular trip that you were uh, referring to in, in your column, you brought back all kinds of treasures. But I know that you have a collection of suitcases and whistles. Um, what what are some of the other uh, things that you collect that, that we might not know about? Well, uh, they're, you know, they're, they're not very, ex- they're not exciting. You know, I collect... Um, code check numbers. I collect uh, post, you know, postcards of waterfalls of uh, Santa Lucia, the patron saint of eyes, because she always has a plate with these like two eyeballs on it in every image that you see, which is kind of amazing. Um, fezes and uh, string. I mean, the, what I bought in Coney Island, because everywhere I go, I buy a little bit of string and I put it back in my string box. For How no, big is no the reason. box? It's not that big. It's you know, it's a it's a Medium-sized box. Now, is it a little piece of string or a, or a no a roll? roll. A whole it's usually roll. a roll. Right. You know, I like that. So uh, I have candy candy bar collections from here and there. The Cratch Bar, mm-hmm. you may have heard of. It's it's in the column. Yes. You know. Yes. Can't go wrong with the Cratch Bar. Now I've read that you're also very very neat. Is that true? Extremely neat. So you have everything organized, all yeah. your collections, yeah. and everything is very yeah. easy to. Get I like through. order in the chaos, that, you know, because. Otherwise, I used to make uh, these charts of my life when I was little, you know, like the daily chart, you know, what, make the bed, you know, I don't know what, polish the silver, and then I would check it off. And for me, the chart of the day and the chart of the week was incredibly satisfying. Obviously, there was some kind of tumultuous thing going on underneath it, but I, I like a sense of order. And then you can and then you can go off on, you know, kind of other places. Do you still keep lists and charts? Very much so. And do you keep all the lists and all of the charts? I do. I mean, I don't, I'm not that big on charts anymore, though. <laughs> I'm thinking, why aren't I making some charts? Um, but lists are, we're, we're a huge list-making family. The whole family sits around making lists. It's our favorite thing to do. Wow, that's extraordinary. Now, um, I want to talk a little bit more about elements of style. Um, in, in the foreword to the book, um, this, is, this is part of the foreword. It said, writing is hard, even for authors who do it all the time. And I wonder if you have a similar struggle as you're creating art. Is, 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 it, is it something that you struggle through? Is it something that happens more naturally, easily? It happens very naturally when it's still in your brain, but when you actually have to do it. Writing and painting, for, are, are, for me, are the same thing in that it's incredibly hard, incredibly The decisions that you make, there are different decisions to be made, obviously, in writing and in painting, but the the decision but the work is the work is hard work and then and uh, and nobody knows why 
I wonder why it's such hard work, but it is. And sometimes I'm happy when things go easily, but then I'm suspicious. So, you know, go. it's like any work that, you know, there's always the balance of doing it well and doing it, you know, working too hard at it and working not hard enough and finding what those extremes are and what that, you know, what that essence is. You're always looking for it anyway and, you know, and hoping to get better. Why do you think that when things are easy, you get suspicious? I don't know. I have a Puritan, you know, even though I have a Russian background, obviously there was a Puritan in my family somewhere. So funny, I, I also have a Russian background, and I've also spent a lot of time in Israel, and I also have the exact yeah. same feeling yeah. that, you know, when things are too good, you wonder when the other shoe is going to drop totally. and right. what's going to happen. I sometimes have to feel like if I'm feeling really happy, I have to curb my happiness so that I don't jinx it. Yeah, of course. It is the evil eyes right. thing, which we can't, can't even go into. Futfu. Um, well, I want to... Um, Oh, we still have another caller. So why don't we take Mike, because uh, I think he's back. He's back. Mike, thank hey. you for calling Design Matters. Hey, how are you guys doing? We're good. good. I, I wish you. we had 10 hours to have this this conversation. Well, I have a question that goes back to previous ones about the children's books. Um, and I was going to ask how you differentiate between writing for kids and writing for adults. And I know that you said you try not to separate the two audiences. But I'm... I mean, I can only imagine there's some things that you do different between the two. So I guess I just wanted to know if there's anything specific that you do to get ready for children, and what inspired you to go there in the first place? Uh, probably having children. Even though my, my work was always whimsical and naive, so it, it made sense that I would ultimately work for children. And because I wanted to be a writer and I gave that up to be an illustrator, mm. the, way to, the way to incorporate both those things in this world, um, besides a graphic novel, is to, is to write for children and to paint for children. And there's a tremendous freedom to be smart and stupid and funny and sad. I mean, you really have unbelievable amounts of freedom, and you have to contain it within, you know, 32 pages, let's say. So you really have to edit yourself down to the essence. I think that I don't prepare differently for kids and for adults, but I... I, you know, I just want to be understood in um, in a way that is pleasing. Probably, I would not be as uh, as dark as I am for adults. I, I allow my darker side to have more room mm-hmm. uh, when I write for adults. But other than that, I think that the imagery that I show is is pretty much the same. I think I don't know, but I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm aware that children are reading this, and I don't want to leave them in some confused place and just show off that I can write for adults as well. Right. So I don't know if I've answered your question, but you know, I, I think about liking people, and I think about myself as a child, and that's what I do, and then I go, I go on from there. That's great. Thank you. Sure. Thanks for calling, Mike. Do you read a lot, Myra? I do. I'm a big reader. What are you reading right now? Right now, I am reading um, the Walter Benjamin scenes from uh, Child 1900. Walter, the, by Walter Benjamin, it's called Berlin uh, Childhood About 1900. And it's vignettes from his childhood. And uh, I just finished the first part of The Idiot by Dostoevsky. Really? Just, you, you, know, you read just, a lot of Dostoevsky? Um, no, no. But he's huge fantastic. Yeah. And I'm reading The Letters of Vladimir Nabokov that um, was edited by his son, Dmitri, who I'm trying to meet, even though he lives in Switzerland, and he, there would be no reason why he'd want to meet me, except they did a painting of his father for my first column. That's right. So, uh, Serendipity you know, occurs a lot in your yeah, life, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, it probably does for everybody, but it depends on what you do with it. Mm-hmm. So I choose to m- make something of it. 
Well, we have about, I think, five or six minutes left till we close. Um, I wanted to play another piece from your opera, but before we did that, I thought it would be fun to, since we're talking about um, our roots and ancestors and influences, to play a little piece that I believe your aunt sang to you for your birthday in Russian. Um, so this is Myra's aunt singing Happy Birthday to No, her. no, it's not Happy I'm Birthday. So, oh, it's it's a Russian song about a, mis about a couple who's very miserable. Oh, and that's why did I think it was Happy Birthday? I don't know, and that, she, and that she and my mother sang it when they were young girls, because of course there are no other songs than just the miserable ones. So, oh. so uh, we, I want to uh, I hopefully use that for the, the opera of the Principles of Uncertainty. Ah. You know, one day, one hopes. And so here she is, my Aunt Shoshana from Tel Aviv. Okay, let me get that. Puidu, puidu, yana, ore. Puidu, yana, ore. Gde moi mili, pu, ons, ore. Gde moi mili, pu, ons, ore. Zanesu ya yomo, isti. Zanesu ya yomo, isti. Mozes kaze mene, sisti. Mozes kaze mene, sisti. Ina yusa, ina pilsa. So that was Myra's aunt. What was she actually saying? Can you do you know? Yeah, what she was saying was? that the the woman comes to the field to bring lunch to her husband, and she says, "Why don't you talk to me?" And he said, "Oh, why did I marry during the daylight? Such an ugly woman." <laughs> <laughs> and this is what they sang. This is what they sang, and the lullabies were even sadder. But everybody dies in the lullabies. What is it about about these Russian roots that are so dark, dark. and soulful? I. I I, I actually really love it. No, it's it's say. incredible. I'm re reading, you know, Dostoevsky, and you're just in an ecstasy of misery all the time. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. I, I, it took me three times, three tries though, to actually get through Crime and Punishment. The first time I tried, I couldn't get past the first few pages. The second time, I probably made it to like page ten or fifteen, and then the third time, you did. I actually you went, made it. But I and I read the first hundred and eighty pages without stopping. I couldn't. I was just addicted to it. That's how how much it impacted yeah. me. Yeah. Um, so I Nabokov hated Dostoevsky's writing, but there you go. Yeah. And also, you know, another Russian writer that I, I love is Oblomov. Yes, I just read that. A Common Story is, uh -huh. is an incredible book. Now, I also know that you're a big fan of Jane Austen. Yes. Which of, of her favorite books, which is which of her books is your favorite? I think uh, probably Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. Just as the basic, basic. I think that I... I Maybe Sense and Sensibility. Persuasion. Persuasion. Persuasion was always sort of separate, I think, from the others in some way. I think it was... Kind of, I don't know. I always thought it was dirtier somehow. <laughs> Dirty Jane Austen. Wait, I have to think about that. <laughs> well, I wanted to play uh, one last piece from your opera. This is a piece called Chicago. Um, do you want to just tell us a little bit about the setup for this particular piece that I'm about to play? Um, what happens uh, when when arriving in Chicago? Uh, well, there's a grammar counterpoint going on here, and the singers were singing opposite sides of the library at each other. But it's a, you know, in the, in the book, there's the right way to say something and the wrong way to say something. Half the time, I don't know which is which, but um, we did, we chose that. Nico and I chose that, and then Nico wrote this piece. Okay, so we are going to play Chicago. Mm -hmm. 
opera called The Elements of Style by Nico Muley. By Nico Muley. And Myra, my last question before we sadly have to close out the show. I, I read that you uh, are also working on an illustrated memoir. Is that true? It is very true, though <gasps> not today. <laughs> oh, Wait. it's true. So, uh, which is in a way the continuation of the, the principles of uncertainty. So, a lot, lot more stories to tell. Wonderful. I think. Right? Absolutely. We'll be here waiting to read them. Um, we've come to the end of the broadcast. I'd like to thank my very special guest, Myra Kelman. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I'd also like to give a very special thanks to our sponsor, Adobe. Big thanks as well to Brian Travis, Ruben and Ryan at Voice America, and Lisa Grant and Jen Simon at Sterling. Joining me next week is designer and illustrator, Luba Lakova. Thank you for listening, and please remember... We can talk about making a difference, we can make a difference, or we can do both. I am Debbie Millman, and I look forward to talking with you next week. Voice America Business would like to thank you for tuning in for Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Be sure to listen every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for another exciting hour of Design Matters. Right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business.